This episode of The First Three Knocks is brought to you by The Traveling Ambassador. If you're looking for custom lapel pins to commemorate a special occasion or your year in the East, The Traveling Ambassador has you covered. With standard or fully customizable design options, The Traveling Ambassador is here to help you through the design process. Visit them today at www.thetravelingambassador.com to begin designing your next commemorative pin or challenge coin. On today's episode, we're sitting down with worshipful brother, Marshall Kern. You're listening to The First Three Knocks, a Masonic podcast in the District of York, where we discuss topics for the betterment of Masonry. The opinions discussed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not represent the views of Grand Lodge or any other Masonic body. Now, here are your hosts. Well, good evening, brethren. Hey, hey. Hello, We're hello. Back at the Rising Sun Lodge, uh, I should say the Aurora Temple. Yep. It's been uh, it's been a while too. Back to back shows we're doing from the back temple. to back shows. Yeah, I feel uh, since again we've been able to get out and about. I was here last night also for a temple court meeting, so I feel like I'm back home again because when we You're were active, we were here all the time, and <laughs> feels like you know three months ago. So it's perfect. Some, some normalcy coming back. Absolutely, huh? a little I'm bit. loving it, loving it. I am Worshipful Brother Bertelli, the past master of the Rising Sun Lodge here in Aurora, Ontario, sitting with... Uh, your co-host, uh, Brother Gino Scovio, the junior warden of the Rising Sun Lodge, also here in Aurora. And, and Brother Steve Sprott, producer of the first three knocks, and uh, Master Mason of Zaradatha Lodge in beautiful, historic Uxbridge, Ontario. Mm. We have a very special guest with us this evening. I would like to welcome Worshipful Brother Marshall Kern who joins us uh, from Sarnia. He's, uh, he's got quite a, quite a uh, track record in masonry. He is the author of The Master's Emblem, Explained for Masons, and Audi Vide Tace, as well as some other publications that he has written. He's an expert on Masonic research topics, definitely a fan of Euclidean geometry. He is the past master of Victoria Lodge number 56 in Sarnia, Ontario. He's also a fellow of the College of Freemasonry, 20 years of Freemason. He's also a member of Heritage Lodge number 730 out of Cambridge, which is a traveling lodge, and also a member of Quator Coronati Lodge number 2076 under the uh, United Grand Lodge of England, which is a research lodge. Uh, welcome, Worshipful Brother Kern, to the first three knocks. What, a, what an honor it is to have you on the show. Well, it's happy to meet with you guys. Yeah, uh, Worshipful Brother Kern has, uh, as I said at the beginning, written a couple of books. He shared them with us. He was very kind to do so. Uh, we've had the chance to read them. Uh, you are a walking encyclopedia of knowledge, Masonic knowledge, and uh, we're thrilled to have you on our on our show. Really, for the I'm listeners... Pardon? I'm, I'm pleased you think so. I like to think I have a certain amount of Masonic knowledge that's grounded in accuracy, because there's a lot of Masonic knowledge that is offered with opinion. <laughs> that is a guarantee. <laughs> Lots of Masonic opinions out there. It's a, it's a lot of fun for us to have you on the show to, to talk about your research and uh, share some Masonic knowledge with our listeners. 
of course. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, Worshipful Brother Kern, maybe you could share with us a little bit about your Masonic career, you know, how you got involved in Freemasonry and, and what got you to this point. Sure. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was a Mason, but my father was not. And at a family reunion back at the turn of the century, I confirmed that my grandfather had not just been a Mason, but he was really well regarded. So I began to explore just locally what were the Masons doing, who were Masons. I had certainly heard of them and had a good opinion. Uh, and picked up the phone, called the Masonic Temple, got connected to a fellow, had a couple of co cups of coffee with him, had a tour, was offered uh, a, uh, an initiation for an application form. I made application. Uh, he was one of my sponsors. And when I completed the ceremony of initiation and looked around the room, I realized I was in the company of a bunch of fellows, some of whom I knew, and many others whom I met and have held in very high regard ever since. Oh, wow. um, it was an opportunity for me to get better connected with my community because at the time I was working for Dow Chemical and having a global position, most of the work I was doing was on the phone and by email. So being able to get together with like-minded men in, in the community was a real treasure and a treat for me. Fantastic. That must have been quite a, an eye-opener at your initiation, as, yeah. as you said, to, uh, to see these now brethren that uh, you so admired. Many of whom I had no idea that they were Masons. <laughs> it just wasn't obvious to me. But afterwards, and certainly meeting with them in, in public afterwards, I began to recognize, yep, he's a Mason. Nope, that fellow is not yet, and, uh, and so forth. Truly, a Mason does know another Mason by his action. Mm, wonderful. We've also. heard that a lot, huh? Yeah. A few guys that have gone in not knowing many of the fellows in the community that they live in, and then they get there and they go, oh, my God, that guy's from church. That guy's from the corner store. That guy, like, it's yeah. just amazing. So, yeah. It's well, it just it, op it opens up a whole new world, right? right. Like Absolutely. The, there's a level of trust here that um, is higher than typical in society. 100%. It's really, really kind of cool. So, so you joined Freemasonry in 2001, is that correct? Correct, yes. And uh, you joined the Victoria Lodge, number 56 in Sarnia, and you had the, the good fortune of going through the chairs. Uh, tell us about that experience. How, how did that go? What really struck me, and I do hope, uh, Brother Steve, you experience this as, you, as well as you go through the chairs. When you start in the junior offices, you move from one side of the lodge to the other. And then as senior officers, you move around the lodge, and you get a totally totally different perspective of all that is happening from the east or from the north or from the west. And then once you get to the east, it is a completely changed experience again because everything you thought you knew, you have to <laughs> relearn and be able to share that again with everybody else. So true. Yeah, that's well said. You've gone through it, you know, yeah. you could uh, certainly. Yeah, well, we, we've talked about my experience before. I, I think the one one build I would add to to uh, Worshipful Brother Kern's comments is just the experience from the East. It takes the cake, yeah. you know, the, to see the lodge working um, together is really shocking. It's, it's To me, it was one of the most impactful things I experienced in Freemasonry was watching 
degree ritual work uh, happening in unison, like ritual work done well. And we're, we're proud of that here at the Rising Sun. Like it's, it's something we, we hold near and dear is to be held to a high standard. But to see it from the East being performed well is like uh, yeah, mind, mind blowing. Absolutely. So I, I look forward to your experience, Gino, which is not too far away. Not I too mean, far. We've got this little pandemic to, to Two push more years if we get through this pandemic, <laughs> yeah. I should be uh, in a position to, to hopefully grace the votes of my brethren and uh, put their confidence in me to lead. So Well, you're certainly earning it. I can tell you that. You are one of the most... Uh, involved masons that i've i've met in my career so uh, we appreciate uh, you it's all because of fellas like uh, worship brother kern that uh, you know we see out there in in other districts and you know we look up to guys like uh, mm -hmm. like him uh, we want to kind of um, kind of be like them and and just you know share their knowledge through our experiences as well so it's been good so far and uh, yeah Happy to. Uh, I'm missing your dinners, though. I mean, well, I, well. I feel like I got shortchanged <laughs> on the junior warden dinners from uh, Gino Scovio this year. We were doing some home cooked meals here, uh, Brother Kern, and uh, we had some pretty fancy ones in the first couple months before everything got shut down. So these guys have been barking at the bit. Yeah. When we're ready, now, do you, I'll have a feast. Now, do you, have a, do you have a proper festive board after the meeting, or do you have a formal dinner before the meeting? We have a kind of a, I would say, like more of an informal dinner. Nothing, yeah, we don't do an actual festive board. Um, if we have like a special guest or something coming, then we'll definitely do some toasts and whatnot. But uh, for the most part, we just have an informal meeting about an hour or so before Lodge starts. It kind of, uh, I think over the years, even before I came, when they started it, it, it has brought more brethren out. Um, and mm -hmm. with full bellies, they're ready to hit the, the business, the ritual, and everything else that we have uh, to put on here when we have our meetings. So One of the interesting things that was going on in our lodge was we were having a lot of um, new applicants come through that way. So we were just inviting them to our, yeah. our informal dinner before lodge for a chance to have some, some uh, camaraderie and, and, and friendship. And it was a great way to get to know people. Um, and I think that it's really unfortunate we hit this, uh, this pandemic because it kind of obviously put a stop to this and everything else going on in the world. But I think we had a really, really good um, tradition yeah, started there. It definitely was. And like you said, it gave them a chance to come and meet us and to just kind of get with the chemistry. Right? Yeah. I mean, you really want a good fit. You don't want to get to be initiated and find out it may not be this, the right fit for you. And, you know, there are lots of lodges. Um, now, we certainly there's, can't get together and have dinner, but we just had a beer the other day with, with everybody. We were all yeah. sat outside when we finally got the lift where we were allowed to have 10 people together. We sat outside and it was nice because it was great to see everybody's face again in person and not just over the phone <laughs> or through a text message. So, yeah. That's true. You know, there is one book I'm looking forward to finally adding to my collection uh, somewhere sometime because I haven't encountered it at all. And that would be a cookbook for Mason. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what advice, what direction can you offer to the junior warden who, as you know, in our jurisdiction is responsible for uh, the time of refreshment and usually that, that requires uh, the junior warden to provide uh, the, the, the meal for the evening? And uh, I have enjoyed some very, very good meals. I've also, unfortunately, had the experience where we have several hours of degree work and then get out and there's cold coffee and Timbits <laughs> left. <laughs> Leftovers. Yeah, I think we've all, we've all done that one. <laughs> but uh, we should aspire to be, do better. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. 
Um, yes, indeed. Worshipful Brother Kern, in, in your Masonic experience uh, with your lodge, going through the chairs, becoming master, obviously you've got to be around some great people. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the, the Masons that have impacted you in your, in your career. Well, there's one fellow who uh, I like to say he has a, a six-week job that ends on Christmas Eve. He's retired from uh, doing a, a, a tradesman's job, and he has been working for a number of years as a Santa Claus. Uh-huh. And he looks the part. He has the real beard. And he uh, has been a Mason now for pro- less than 10 years, I would say. He took it upon himself to learn the working tools lecture in the second degree. I was with him in that lodge when he delivered that lecture because at that time he was not a member of my lodge. Uh, He made mistake after mistake after mistake, but he persevered. He backed up. He started over again. He delivered and he got coached a couple of times, but he backed up. He started and he finally delivered it correctly and properly, Mm. but it was a real painful experience for everybody. When he sat down, he was in tears. Oh, wow. When the candidate finally left to resume his personal comforts, I rose and I complimented him because I have very seldom seen somebody with that determination to deliver the lecture, to uh, struggle with it, and not apologize and not stop with a whole bunch of ums and ahs, get the prompting and then carry on. But he would intentionally back up, start over again until he delivered the lecture correctly. Wow. That made a big impression on me. Wow. So who was this brother? I don't think we (laughs) caught his name. Uh, Brother Larry Hewitt. Okay. Is now a member of Victoria Lodge number 56 and Burns Lodge number 153. Oh, there you go. Uh, shout out to him. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> and yeah. you know what? We've all been there, right? Oh, yeah. We've all had those uh, those moments where I think sometimes nerves get the better of us. But uh, when we're finally able to uh, overcome it and and deliver it, uh, it's just it just it's it's impactful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. And he's made sure that every other lecture he's delivered since, he's and he's flawless. done a number. Like, he is spot on. Yeah. <laughs> that would be quite an experience to uh, to motivate, <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's we all go through that. Oh, right? yeah. it's a, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> we did that once in uh, chapter. Uh, I got up. It was uh, shortly after I just joined, and uh, and they asked me to do a piece, and I was like, "Yep, no problem." And I take very good pride, as you know, in doing the work and doing it by memory. And uh, I forgot every single word every single it was the only time it ever happened and i felt like a big you know yeah wow but uh but i got the help from the prompter uh, he gave me every word to to you know spit out and again and it was real nice um it wasn't an official visit but the uh, grand principal was there mm. and uh he pulled me aside after and said i've done that myself don't you and i and i knew and then you know what's funny i walked out of the the room and I was like, I know I know this. And I said it flawlessly. Oh, so it's it the just, worst. <laughs> it was the new environment. It was a new, you know, yeah. it was my new, uh, you know, companions and whatnot. And, uh, and so it was just, again, new place. But oh, that's good. But we've all been there. All been there. Yeah. In, uh, and it's all, it's all, again, the, the importance of the ritual, how we deliver exactly. it. Exactly. And even if you do make mistakes, it's how we recover and support each other exactly. from those mistakes. 
Well, that was the uh, one thing. Certainly, certainly, if you do make a mistake yourself, you really feel bad about it. And it is an inspiration, as you say, to do a better job next time. Yep. And that was the one thing that I remember. It wasn't just him pulling us aside or me aside. It was all the brethren saying, hey, you're the only guy that got up and didn't bring his book. Because in chapter, it doesn't have to be done through memory. It's encouraged, but it, you know you can read right from the book. And I was like, well, no, craft law just taught me this, and that's how I'm going to do everything. So, so it was nice to get those you know extra encouragements, even though I know I totally botched it. <laughs> but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, so I've told fellows who are going through the degrees, or probably have just finished their degree, become a master mason, that uh, they should look back on what they've experienced, which degree really resonated with them. And was there a particular lecture that they really enjoyed within that degree? Then go ahead, learn that lecture, live that lecture, mm. and then deliver that lecture. Now, Larry Hewitt, Brother Larry Hewitt, has been asked several times by other lodges to go and deliver working tools as they uh, are doing degree work because he does a really good job with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's, awesome. uh, that, that's fantastic. In, in your experience as you went through those chairs, then uh, culminating to the master of the lodge. Tell us a little bit about your experience as master. Uh, that was a significant challenge because uh, at the time I had, uh, unfortunately, uh, in 2006, uh, my mother passed away in 2007, my father passed away. Mm. And so that colored some of my perspective of the, of the time. But uh, I did take a lot of solace from the third degree, and I made sure that when we delivered the third degree, and I had the great good fortune as master to deliver four master masons oh, to wow. the lodge in that year, uh, the third degree meant a lot to me because of the content and because of my experience. And I know that it really was impactful for those four fellows because they are still members of the, of the craft. Oh, that is so cool. Uh, it was, uh, I learned from that that, yes, I need to prepare, prepare, prepare. And I also need to make sure that if others call on me for help, I have to step up and be supportive of everything that they are doing. Right. Wow, that's an interesting uh, story in terms of impact oh, yeah. for you personally. Like, uh, I mean, what what is crazy about that is the the reflection you must have had going through that period. Here you are, the master leading the lodge, and now you're reflecting on your current situation. I can only imagine it helped you um, work through that. It must have. It certainly, uh, I certainly look back on it, and uh, I've uh, been willing to be the master again. I was elected again after uh, Tuscan Lodge, number of uh, Tuscan Lodge amalgamated with Victoria Lodge number 56. Uh, they came back to us after 125 years away. And uh, I became the master soon after the amalgamation. And uh, I uh, enjoyed that year even more because mm. the I knew what to expect. <laughs> I knew I could go to some others to say, I need you to do this. And I know that I knew that they would be willing to step up and follow my example. Right. That's great. Did you find, because you did serve a second year, you had that advantage? Again, because you had, I guess, one year under your belt. I mean, everybody that I've spoken to uh, who's made it to the East, uh, Bert included, says it goes so fast, you know? And so it's really, 
I think till the end that you really you, you find your groove. You've got your teams working with you. All just the in brothers time for just, the end. Just in time for the end. So <laughs> often you wonder, you know, I wonder how it would feel to serve a second year back to back because now you truly are, you know, essentially almost an expert in the delivery. I mean, you know, there's lots of factors I'm sure that play into changes and whatnot, but how did that, uh, how did that feel for you sitting for the second year? It really reinforced two things. The one I've already mentioned, prepare, 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 prepare. Yep. The other thing that really struck me in the second year was that I very much understood the lecture from the Northeast angle in the ceremony of installation and investiture of officers. You know, that one that starts out, the brethren have elected you to uh, provide the governance to this lodge, and you can be insensible neither to their needs nor their wants, etc. cetera. Uh, it instructs you to, uh, to do the things so that the brethren will inculcate the lessons within the lodge and then practice them outside of the lodge. So that particular lecture really resonated the second time through because I was prepared and because I was able to step back and think about it. Nice. Mm. So it was a pretty successful time then in the East. You, you had your two uh, different periods to, to serve as master. How did you get involved in research? Just changing gears a little bit. How, what, uh, what led you to the research? One of the things that really struck me sitting in lodge as an entered apprentice was the, the variety of aprons. I mean, we're, we learned that every mason is equal. But I had a, a simple plain apron. There was another fellow with two rosettes on it. There were master masons. There were those that had uh, gold around the, uh, the master mason's apron, as is customary in our jurisdiction, grand jurisdiction, for uh, lodges have been around for 100 years or more. There are those with dark blue apron uh, borders and a collar. So I started asking, what does this all mean? And I got good answers except for sometimes. And I, when I was asking specifically about the emblem that is on the apron of the Worshipful Master, I got a variety of answers. And sometimes I was told, well, just go and look it up in, in the standard reference books, the various encyclopedias, which to me just meant the fellow didn't know didn't what he know. was talking about. <laughs> you know, or go and look it up in the Book of Constitution. That's a really good That's one that every yeah. worshipful master should learn, yeah. which, of course, gives some unusual words, but it doesn't tell me what it means or what it does or why it got there. So I uh, did have a moment of inspiration because of some other learning that I was doing late one night, watching a video on great mathematical ideas and so forth. And uh, Professor William Dunham was giving this lecture and he turned to Euclid. Well, my spidey senses of Mason picked up because, of course, Euclid is mentioned several times in our ritual. He then explained that for the 47th problem of the first book of Euclid, which is a phrase we've all heard, there are, in fact, over a thousand different proofs uh, that, that have been put forward around the world, not just in Western culture, but in Chinese culture uh, and all other areas of, of the world. He then drew uh, imaginary lines that were showing up very nicely in the video, and I recognized the master's emblem. So I replayed that short video and said, I have to go and check that out. I did track down a copy of Euclid's uh, The Elements, 
the, the, the 14 books that, that were published. And very fortunately, in the translation that I had, it had exactly those words that are in our Book of Constitution, saying that the emblem is uh, horizontal, uh, vertical lines on horizontal lines proved by forming two squares. So I thought, I've got something here. And maybe I just need to keep on researching it. So I spent a couple of years wow. looking through Ars Pator Coronatorum, the proceedings of the, uh, the research lodge. I spent a couple of years looking through my own personal library, which is now over 150 different books. Uh, as the Sarnia District Masonic Library, I have access to about 2,000 volumes, of which there's uh, certainly close to 600 different titles. I couldn't find anything there. So I asked a bunch of people, and this is another important lesson that is uh, learned in the third degree, that we learn to do things with the assistance of others. So I asked a lot of other people what their thoughts were, and I learned from them that it's a tau, which is a letter from the Greek alphabet. I thought, how can that be? Because the Greek alphabet doesn't apply within our ritual. Uh, It's... it's not connected to the Hiramic lecture legend at all. And I was told, well, it's, it's a T-square, a draftsman tool. And I thought, well, that may be appropriate, but probably not, because a draftsman's tool is not for the learned uh, master mason to work with, and it's for drafting, and it's a very recent invention. Uh, so I was told, okay, it's a level. You and I can look around through any number of books and look at the variety of levels. They're all different shapes and sizes and so forth. And the emblem that's on your apron and my apron, Worshipful Brother Bert, as the master of the lodge or as a past master, it's been very, very, very consistent since 1814. Unfortunately, uh, I did find a couple of Masonic references back to that time period and even one that said I needed to look at the board of the work. So I was able to contact him, again, ask for help. Mm-hmm. I asked the archives and library of, and the, pardon me, the Museum and Library of Freemasonry in London, England, if they had any information about the board of the work. And I was told, yes, as a matter of fact, they have the handwritten minutes of the board of the work. Wow. So I asked if I could please get a scan I paid my few dollars to get that. I got the scanned copy, and wow, it was all right there. A few guys getting together at a tavern on a Tuesday night in 1814 <laughs> figured out this is what we need to have on the apron to designate the worshipful master and all past masters. So I tried to figure out who would think of that. And I have a chapter devoted in my book to explain who were all of the fellows who gathered around in the tavern that night and uh, what were, what were their backgrounds? They're all eminent people in their own fields, but there's one that is outstanding, right worshipful brother James Agar, who came from Ireland. He studied at Trinity College in Dublin. He was a, uh, a mason from the ancient Grand Lodge. He was a lawyer, and uh, he had the right background, I believe, to be able to bring to the craft this very special emblem to designate the worshipful master and all past masters. So I thought, wow, how do I share this? How can I be able to provide this information to everybody else? Mm-hmm. Uh, I started writing, and after about 6,000 words, I realized nobody was going to read that in any kind of uh, newsletter that I was aware of. 
so I tried to find an appropriate name, and I really couldn't until I just hit upon the idea that because 2017 was the 300th anniversary of the formation of the first Grand Lodge, I should try and publish a book as my own personal contribution to our craft, and that's what I did. Uh, I took this and went through several major rewrites, a whole bunch of minor edits. I got several educators who are Masons to read through and provide some proofreading for me. I spoke with a couple of grandmasters to make sure that I wasn't revealing anything inappropriate or that there was some explanation out there that I was not privy to, that mm -hmm. maybe they knew and I didn't. But nobody else has been able to come, with, come up with this uh, That in any of the research that I've been able to find. Nobody has been able to provide uh, a comparable explanation that is visually similar, has the literary congruence, and it has the contextual relevance of being Euclid, Euclidean geometry, which is consistent with masonry, as we learn in the second degree. Geometry and masonry were originally synonymous terms. Mm -hmm. And so I put this together and put it out, and now I'm pleased to know that this is uh, in a number of states in the U.S. It's in most provinces in Canada. It's in Ireland, in Scotland, in the U.K., as well as now in Australia. And even most recently, I've sold a copy into Japan. Oh, there you go. That's Truly awesome. international. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. What a what a great experience to go so deep on this topic. Um, what has it meant for you personally, as as a past master, even to to look at the symbology and your deep understanding of it? How how does it affect you now? Well, let me answer it two ways. First of all, the process of research has been a significant challenge because there are so many, as I said earlier, so many opinions out there. And getting through the opinion to the kernel of truth, the, uh, the, the origin of the idea, and trying to find uh, through all of the distractions and all of the different, you know, the, the different explanations that could be out there to get back to realizing here are some handwritten notes from the minutes, that was just uh, an amazing opportunity for me, and it delivered to me the importance of the of getting back to the primary sources, getting to the fundamental aspect of what you're trying to research. Which is why I'm glad I took on just one simple, not trying to explain everything. Uh, Freemasonry is based on three fundamental principles: brotherly love, relief, and truth. Euclidean geometry is based on just five principles that Euclid sets forward as basic assumptions or axioms, and everything else is built from that using very simple working tools, a plumb rule, a straight edge, compasses, a pencil, a plumb line, very simple things that we recognize as working tools for ourselves. So there's that aspect of being able to always drive back to a, uh, the primary sources, the, uh, the real key of what we're trying to achieve. The other aspect, uh, which will brother tell you, is uh, recognizing the the emblem is trying to remind us and inspire us always to be upright. Usually, as Masons, we know that we meet on the level, we part on the square. It's a common expression. It's been around for many years. It's in lots of movies and so forth. But if you stop and think back through our ritual, the Canadian ritual in the Grand Lodge of Canada and the province of Ontario, or looking at the emulation ritual as practiced in most of the United Kingdom, 
or even looking through the rituals that are practiced in the United States. And I've had the good fortune of reading through Duncan's Monitor, Richardson's Monitor, uh, McCoy's Ritual. There are so many times where we refer to each other as being upright, or we look at the, the rectitude of your posture, the uh, you know being perfectly erect. These are minor expressions that seem to be just a toss-off in the in the ritual. It's not really focused on until you start to realize the culmination of this is that final journey to the East to be installed as the Worshipful Master, and your emblem then is to always remind you to be upright. So well said. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah brilliant. So you finished the book uh, in 2017, I think you said? That's correct. correct. Yeah. What's happened since then? I mean, what's it's been, I guess, over three years now, and, and how, how has it gone since you've written this book? Well, as I say, it's been, it's, it's been uh, I'm promoting it, of course, on my website, mastersemblem.com. And uh, people can go there. They can certainly read the biography that I have of Right Worshipful Brother James Agar. There's uh, the same level of intensity I've put into researching his biography as, uh, as in the book. So it's a short biography with, uh, let's see, I think it's now 15 different primary sources. In my book, I've got 80 different primary sources. I've made a presentation based on my book to the Heritage Lodge number 730 that was well received. I've been able to attend a few other lodges and deliver a short talk because I prepared that short talk and it's part of my book. So it's, uh, you know, others who pick up my book can take it to their lodge and in less than five minutes be able to share the information with the, the brethren. Um, I've also been uh, reaching out as uh, with, with your own podcast, Three First Knocks, to try and spread the word and uh, quietly, calmly, because this is not an approved thing by any jurisdiction at all. When I do attend an installation, I ask respectfully if after the Board of Installed Masters has, done, has completed their work and before the lodge is opened up again in the third degree, if I can speak for just one minute and share again my thoughts of what that emblem truly means. How is it connected to our craft? And I can do that in just one minute, and then we can carry on with the rest of the meeting. That's brilliant. So, so you've had the opportunity to do that in lodge during that time. Oh, that's cool. How was how was it received? Uh, my back gets sore with the number of people thumping me on the back <laughs> afterwards. <but laughs> very well received. It's, it's been very well. It's it's satisfying because when uh, when you know you've got something right, when people turn around and say, "That is so obvious," mm. now that it's explained. Right. Right. That, that's fantastic, and uh, we, we appreciate the work that you've put into this. So certainly we can't fathom how uh, difficult that must have been to put that work together, but having read the book, uh, discussed it amongst ourselves here, and of course with you, uh, it, it really is a meaningful piece, and I, I can speak from, from personal experience here, had an impact on me as a past master, would love to bring it to our lodge as a Masonic topic of education because I think it's it's brilliantly written, uh, and even you provide a, a overview in the book that could be read in lodge that that makes that very easy. So, for our listeners out there that uh, want to advance their Masonic education, I highly encourage you to, to get this book. 
go to mastersemblem.com to get a copy. Um, Worshipful Brother Kern will, uh, I think, personally deal with you on on that as well, which is uh, which is a great opportunity to just connect. Uh, Worshipful Brother Kern, what's next? What's on, what's on the docket now? I was now? just going to say, you've, you've done a great job on this. Yeah. Promoting this and all that extensive research. What's next? What You got more books coming? Before we leave that, just uh, let me add one thing, because I know there are a number of listeners that you have, your loyal listeners that are based in jurisdictions that don't have a board of installed masters. They don't have a private ceremony to install the worshipful master. So there's a lot of guys out there who are scratching their heads and saying, what? <laughs> What's going on here? And I do have a chapter devoted in the book to exactly that. Why does this not apply in the United States of America? And it, beca- it is because uh, the, uh, the scripture that we use in the ceremony for installation of the, in, uh, of the worshipful master is not in any ceremony for an installed master in the United States, but rather most often it shows up in the Fellowcraft degree hmm. to the point that on the Grand Lodge of Iowa, their building, their library and Grand Lodge building have those have that scripture uh, taken from the books of the prophet Amos engraved in very large letters up on the wall. So our brethren in the U.S. can go and check on what's on the front wall of the Grand Lodge of Iowa and then buy my book and find out why it doesn't pertain to them. Hmm. But what I also started doing is just looking around, and this actually was prompted by a, a piece of Masonic education last Christmas, where I took the motto from our Grand Lodge, which is Audi Vide Tace, three Latin words, and I applied that to the message of Christmas, and our district deputy grandmaster read that so that he explained. Uh, at Christmas time, we do hear lots of carols. We do hear lots of singing. And as Masons, we do hear lots of things within our lodge. We are supposed to listen closely to our ritual. And at Christmas time, we are able to see the return to light of the world. We are able to see uh, lights. Uh, decorating Christmas trees, we're able to see a lot of the message about light, which of course has a profound Masonic meaning within our lodges, so that uh, we are able to Audi to hear, D-Day to see, and then as Masons we are to be quiet, touchy, to keep these things, as in the story of Christmas time, Mary pondered these things quietly in her heart. So I took that and then started to think, why do we have this as a motto? And I actually then went and produced a little bit more work. It took me, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to tell my wife how many hours of research I spent earlier this year. But there's now this small book, I call it 20 Pages, explaining Audi Vide Tace. That it, again, arose from a decision from the Board of the Work in 1814 as they created the seal, the coat of arms and the seal for the United Grand Lodge of England. I even know who brought it into the uh, into our fraternity. His name is Brother Sir George Naylor. Uh, he, it was his job, his career, to create coats of arms for people. And he had been a Mason for two years when he was asked to create the coat of arms for the United Grand Lodge of England. I was able to trace back the documented history of how it came from, again, that Tuesday night of a few guys getting together at a tavern in 1815, 
to decide that uh, those three words, Audi Vide Tachi, would be brought forward to uh, our Grand Lodge and also to a number of other Grand Lodges here in Canada. Uh, Chris Hodap, Brother Chris Hodap, recently mentioned it in one of his uh, blog postings. And it's been used, uh, of course, in the United Grand Lodge of England. It's also being used in one of the Grand Lodges in Australia. So I've been able to trace that back uh, to that specific time. And I went back even further. I found that it came into our fraternity uh, in 1777 through what was then the premier Grand Lodge of England, the ancient, the, uh, what is now called the modern Grand Lodge of England. And I was able to trace it back to its origin, which is over a thousand years ago. It was in a series of Latin proverbs and fables that is called the Gesta Romanorum. So that's all explained in a small little book. Again, it's available on my website, mastersemblem.com. I'm selling that for $5, and all the proceeds from that will be used for benevolence because I'm very sure when this pandemic allows us to get back together and lodge, we are going to be hearing about a few brethren who will need a hand Mm -hmm. to get back on track. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Great. That is wonderful. So that's that's a great overview of of the work you've done and... uh, uh, Worshipful Brother Kern, what uh, what's next? What uh, what's on your agenda? I'm continuing to read. I'm continuing to share. I've been finding uh, definitions of words because many words we have in our ritual are simply not used in common language. Again, our brethren in the United States will hear in the in their uh, in their ritual uh, the description of the form of the lodge, oftentimes described as being. Uh, being an oblong square. Hmm. But in our ritual and in the emulation ritual, the word is a parallelopipedon. <laughs> and thankfully, the United, pardon, the Oxford English Dictionary tells us that it came from, again, Euclid. It first entered the English language in 1570 when the works of Euclid were first translated into English by Sir Henry, Henry Billingsley. And no, he was not a mason. Uh, but the word parallelopipedon is a word that describes a shape. And that shape has six sides so that the ends are parallel, the front and the back are parallel, and the top and the bottom are parallel. So uh, having just demonstrated that to you guys, you understand why that is used in our first degree uh, but it, because this is a or, uh, an audio podcast, people are going to be wondering, why did he do that? Uh, <laughs> what's the mention of that? But it is a word now that is 550 years old. My full research on that will be in Ars Quator Coronatorum later this year. Uh, so anybody who is a subscriber to the uh, Quator Coronati proceedings will be able to receive that as well. Well, that's a great opportunity for, for folks looking to expand their knowledge to, uh, to look into that. And I assume they can learn a little more information on mastersemblem.com as that's well. That's correct. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. We look forward to seeing that piece of work come out when it, when it does and oh, yeah. uh, maybe a good opportunity to, for us to have a follow-up and uh, connect with you I again. I do look forward to an invitation to an installation in your lodge. Yeah, there you go. Yes, yes. There, <laughs> there'll be a big one coming up, huh? 
Well, Worshipful Brother Kern, we greatly appreciate you investing your time and your heart with us this evening. Truly impressive work that you've done, and uh, we're all better for it. So thank you. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much for taking the time today and uh, just reviewing all the stuff that you do. And again, we look forward to meeting you in person very, very soon. Happy to meet. Sorry to part. Happy to meet again. Happy to meet again. Cheers. And on that note, I'm just going to end the uh, podcast uh, today with our uh, producer pin uh, supporter. Uh, so we still have a few left. <clears throat> they are flying off the shelves. You can get them at our website at thefirstrenox.com. And uh, this this particular podcast, the uh, podcast sponsor of the producer pin is Luke Belanger. And uh, Luke hails from Temple Lodge number 649, I believe, out in Durham region uh, in the Oshawa area. So, brother, thank you so much thank for you. your support. And uh, we look forward to doing more for all you guys out there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The First Three Knocks. Happy to meet, sorry to part, happy to meet again. <laughs>